Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. My name is Henry and this week I'm joined by Matt, Dario and Kaz. The latter two have come up, the Bellingham boys up in Squamish, for some filming as well as joining me on this podcast today. Now this week we are going to be talking about our teenage dreams, the bikes that we really, really wanted when we first got into mountain biking. They might be weird, they might be wonderful, they might be downright awful in my case, but in fairness I really didn't know what I was talking about even more so than now. But before we get to that we're going to run through the news and there are three bikes that have sort of either been released or reviewed this week each with a slightly different take. There is the Scott Ransom, which got released today, which is ultra tech, ultra extreme. There is a Nolly Chilcotin that I've been spending a bit of time on, which is a metal bike that's probably going to appeal to a slightly different audience. And there's the bike that I would say is quite possibly the pragmatist of the bunch, mm-hmm. at least in its category, the Norco Fluid. This one was in Carbon Dario, and it it's was. a bike you spent a fair bit of time on. Yeah. Would you just walk us through what the bike was like and kind of give us a quick outlay for the listeners? Sure, yeah. Uh, the brief is it's a 130 mil travel frame with 144 canola builds. Uh, it's not a new bike necessarily. It's an update, just a, a carbon version of the aluminum fluid that they released a couple of years ago. You the guys carbon bike field later. Test. Was that a manufacturing process thing, or was that just um, they always intend on that? Do you think? I think it was just a, a matter of the material change. Like six hundred grams is you know significant, but not crazy. Um, you know, over the course of a whole frame, makes sense that you could cut that. Um, it's a good bike. I liked it. It's quite sensible. I don't think it was a standout in any one category, but it feels capable and fun. If it were me, I'd probably still buy the aluminum one. <laughs> yeah, I would say because we used to see this. I would say it, well, maybe I'm wrong. It used to feel there'd be a lot more real distinctions between carbon and alloy. Sometimes these models sure. at different times. Mm-hmm. That's gone and gone away now. People just do the release and the bike's available and you know what you're going to get. Um, yeah. Do you think that that is 600 grams, did you say? 600 grams. I was, it was kind of odd to me that Norco went w- with a carbon version just because the fluid was kind of marketed as this like everyone bike. It's meant to be like uh, low barrier to entry and like good geometry, good suspension, just like a well-rounded thing. And the carbon didn't really change any of that. It was mm. just like a higher priced item, essentially. And compared to some brands, I suppose we see, again, brands like Santa Cruz, maybe specialized, having their carbon bike and then a lighter one again. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. still Norco are skewing it to make this bike accessible mm-hmm. for everyone. Um, yeah. Kaz, we're famed for our hardline editorial advice. Should we just, should bike brands be, you know, if, if you can make alloy and it's cheaper, and it doesn't really make that much difference to performance. Are we kind of flogging the dead horse? Or? Uh, I mean, I think there's still a place for carbon, especially like you were talking about the extra, like people that are actually counting grams in the more XC and maybe even some of the trail realm where you want the lightest bike possible. It is possible. Like you can definitely make the lightest bike with carbon compared to aluminum. Yeah. It'd be hard to achieve those same weight goals. But yeah, for most people, most of the time, aluminum's great and that's the way they should go. One thing we do see with companies is they'll, they'll make their aluminum bikes have, you won't be able to buy a complete bike with quite as good of a part spec. But that's yeah. part starting to change. So that makes it almost even, I guess it makes it easier to recommend an aluminum bike. Because you say, hey, this bike has everything you want and all the parts are good too. So go aluminum. Like even the Norco, that aluminum fluid, yep. it was a great spec, I think, for I four think, grand. I think the highest end uh, alloy bike is a preferable build kit to me than like any of the carbon bikes. And yeah. cheaper too, huh? And $2,000 cheaper. No, yeah. I, I have to confess, I haven't. I read, I kind of went through the review. I haven't read the comments, but Dario, would I be fair in, ass- in assuming there was someone 
in the comments probably questioning why a 130 mil carbon trail bike didn't weigh 22 pounds oh of course yeah, yeah. Um, and we get we should mention that this is actually only the front triangle is carbon oh okay so that makes yeah. it almost a little harder like pill to swallow or not to you know it's just a little bit less of a value thing because mm. the idea of a full carbon bike might have a little bit more sales appeal but it's just a front triangle which is still something but it doesn't really yeah. get you anything except that weight savings like i don't think this, you're going to notice necessarily some yeah. magical ride characteristic this change. might be like a dated uh fun fact not even a fact a dated concept but like i remember hearing from a manufacturer a few years ago that they were unable to make their carbon rear ends lighter than their aluminum ones and it was purely just for like stiffness and you know the marketing appeal of it and i think they were using like a specific design that required quite a bit of carbon in the layup i think like norcos is pretty simple and they could probably make it lighter but um matt we did that field test recently and you and I spoke a great deal, kind of off camera as much as on it, about the different feel of bikes, going between different alloys and carbon. Do you think there's one, unif- you know, I think from the outside, there's a perception <coughs> that carbon can be more comfortable and that's just how it is. In your experience, is there any one unifying feeling between for a material? Um, I mean, like, does alloy always feel a certain way? Does carbon always feel a certain way? No, I would say that in that field test, we had quite a few different alloy frames with different shapes we mm-hmm. had some that were fully cnc'd and some that were aluminum drawn tubes and then we had some very thin sharp edged carbon and some very round tubed carbon frames and they all had their own different feel generally the more round more flexible the frame you you could say or at least like the less vibration that's transferred through mm-hmm. so they all did have their own characteristic for sure and do you think that that's something for the listeners at home do you think that's something with us being really particular and ultra, you know, we obviously have this amazing opportunity to ride with these different bikes. Do you think that's something that most riders be able to pick up or do you think it's something that is quite a hard to detect thing, different feel between frame materials? Yeah, it's definitely easier to feel once you go back to back in our situation. But I think, you know, generally the, the higher end consumer, uh, given the chance to, to try different material frames could notice a difference. Mm. They, they may point out one thing about the bike, like, oh, this bike is particularly loud or noisy or feels stiff, but they might not break it down right to the frame material per se. I suppose as well, and the body doesn't lie. They might not know they have a comfortable bike, but they'll be less fatigued yeah. subsequently. They might not know they have a harsh bike, but yeah. they might find themselves being tired. Um, Kaz, another bike that's come out this week is the Scott Ransom. Mm-hmm. This bike, I mean, it's a bike or a starship yeah a lot going on it's got <laughs> 17 bars cables hidden from view have is has scott played an absolute blinder that's going to blow everyone away or have they completely lost their mind because this isn't a bike that i think is caught in the crossroads about what it wants to be yeah i mean of course i haven't ridden the bike yet so i can't come on comment on how it rides but seb stott was really really impressed he said it's one of the best enduro bikes that he's ridden in recent yeah. or ever really and like i trust what seb says he gets to ride a bunch of bikes and he has a really good uh, critical view and so this bike definitely has some things that would possibly steer me away from it but the fact that he he was praised its performance so highly um says something like do you think that a bike can ever be good enough for some me? people <laughs> well i mean you're you're a cable skeptic yeah a cable tourist you are not yeah um could a bike ever be good enough to justify that level of integration for you 
for me it wouldn't but i will say with this one they kind of did a cool thing like the shock is hidden in the frame which you know for better or worse but this one looks like it's pretty easy to access the adjustments and we've had this on the i guess on the bold how easily or how easily the uh it was a genius i'm getting the bold no, was, yeah henry had that yeah, bold with like yeah that's a different one but no with the genius the yeah. down to protector kind of shock hider is pretty easy to come on and off it has a, like a clever little design just a little push button when you say easy does it mean it fell off doesn't fall, mine off. fell off this one didn't fall off this is not a genius no so it's not a genius it didn't fall off mine but with like, this that's one when you knew it was too much compression dumping because it rattled loose and right it would right. say help me to someone <laughs> no this one looks like it works uh, well and it actually they're doubling as a storage compartment mm, so you have yeah. the shock you can access the shock then in front of it you can stick your spare tube on the same bike they also they used to or they still do but they have the twin lock which controls your fork and shock at the same time with a remote well this one doesn't use it doesn't touch the fork so you're just adjusting the shock so for climbing you switch you know it's still like a lever. cluster of levers though yeah, yeah but it, it's, it's at least better. Better. it's getting yeah. better yeah and again like seb said it was a great climber so i think there are i mean you know yeah even we all like bikes that climb well and descend well so i yeah. think this bike they're doing everything they can to optimize a bike for that so um it would be cool to like I hope that Seb in like long-term testing of this, like takes the twin lock stuff off and like plays around with the shock on it. I know that's like a proprietary shock that they've got on there. Like at least I think construction wise, right? It's like, so yeah, 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 it yeah. looks like a float. Yeah. But you should be able to service it at any Fox. Right. Deal, yeah. Like, you know, yeah shop, I mean, proprietary in terms of like, you can yeah, only get a service by for Scott, that bike. but yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see like how, if it's like a, if it's a decent bike, just like bones wise or if it's yeah. like super dependent on that as a system yeah but that genius we had in the field test that bike was great mm -hmm. i really like that bike and kind of just i know it almost like falls off my radar because i don't feel like we see them that often around no, here kind of like where we are yeah i'm not sure it's kind of more region dependent but um yeah this bike looks interesting too because so. yeah. dario you are the the hardtail correspondent of Pink Bike. God, please That's don't put me there. <laughs> are you not the hardtail correspondent? Well, I'm begrudgingly, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a different. That's a different story of like you know, the the argument for hardtails to begin with. But are shocks really? <laughs> are you saying they, they that important? <laughs> no, no, yeah. are, they, are they that? Are they that? Are they that ugly? Are they that much of an eyesore? That just is the thing. I, I look yeah. at my bike and I think, wow, that cool shock. I don't know if it's because I'm an idiot and I just love like big cars and trophy trucks and suspension moving. But I look at my bike and I think that coil shock looks really cool. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm not immediately sick. in a rush to like cover it up. Yeah, I'm like oh, unsightly. <laughs> you know, I wondered what the suspension manufacturers thought of it, particularly Fox. I guess right. in this case, this one's particular to the Scott bike. Yeah, like they don't even get to you know tout their brand right. on the bike. Yeah, true. Yeah, just <sighs> yeah, just hidden. I think it looks the bike looks cool, but I don't think it's like it's not sleek enough to to truly hide it like there's still this like big you know cavity component yeah, it kind of looks like see. an e-bike yeah mm. it's mm. funny too that like even though i spend all day like staring at pictures of bikes on the internet i still like i don't notice that there's a shock missing right away you're mm. like oh it has the shapes of a bicycle and like that's where the shock would go and the 17 bars yeah 17 bars is actually um a drill rapper, I, I think, believe. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. now <laughs> Inter's Day yeah. into, into Scott's, oh, into Scott's <laughs> system. Yeah. Uh, another bike that's coming out this week is the Nolly Chilcotin. Now, the Chilcotin, I think for non... Like, obviously, I'm, if people haven't gathered, I'm, I'm British. The Chilcotin mm. sounds like a very peaceful Cotswold town. In Canada, they're hmm. big gnarly mountains that people go to do gnarly shit in. And subsequently, they've got a bike that can pedal and access these areas, but is also set up to be able to you know do the big days and, and the big moves this bike I, I reviewed the last one this bike is um a real um 
it's seen a lot of refinement, a lot of improvements. It's, it's largely a whole, whole new bike. I think the seat tube share is the same, but everything else is different. The top tube. We should talk about straight top tube. It's got a straight top tube. Makes I it look would a lot say, better. And I don't use this lightly, Kaz. I would say it's got something Iron Horse-esque about that top tube. It's low slung, it's compact. Mm-hmm. You forget about the, the long piece of metal connecting the front and the back of the bike together. Yeah. It looks, I mean, it looks way better. Wouldn't You've yeah. seen it. It's in my garage at home. Yeah, yeah. It looks it a lot looks, better. It looks a lot better. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's a good looking bike. Yeah. It's just, it's that, amazing. Like, BB subway yeah, it's different shaped there. object is kind of funny. There's a bit of an irony, though, in that they're, and it's great, they've got the um, the tool storage holder on the underside of the top tube, which is quite hard to actually get the tube in, and the bottle it does work, but there's a lot of, like, mm-hmm. careful placement. But that little shelf, you should just put the bosses there. Mm-hmm. I've, like, taped a tube there. It works way yeah. better. It's out of the way. Yeah. yeah. It's low. Yeah, it could be the burrito holder. You could put a burrito, like, it's the length <laughs> of a burrito. You just slap it yeah. right there, and then it's ready for you. Yeah, totally. It's, which, um, which bike has more bearings, the Ransom or the the Nolly? I reckon the Ransom. And the, to be fair to the Nolly, I mean, I'm just like, going to regurgitate a lot of PR now, but they also... Um, put everything on the flat mount for bearing presses so they made That's it like, cool. compatible with bearing and full complement of injury bearing so hopefully it'll um, last but I've been riding it for a little while super boost super boost yeah do you feel I, super on it I still don't really understand I think I'm a bit thick Kaz <laughs> I'm not it's, quite sure why it's it either. It's I don't a chain understand. line thing. That's but, what they're, yeah, but, they're that's what they're about. But I don't know that. But what I'm does like, it matter? What does I think, it matter? Just it, do, I, no, it doesn't to me. But if yeah. you're like really sensitive to like drivetrain drag or like the I don't shape think that your chain notice. makes, no, I think it's all just. Somebody. I mean, there's some people out there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. To I'd, be fair, like, and a couple other bikes, DaVinci, Weir One, they do it so that they can move the chain line on the crank set further inboard yeah because like, you spend more time in the higher gears which are further inboard on the yeah. rear on the cassette and so that makes sense yeah would you notice a stiffer wheel over 148 mm, probably not. yeah pivot I, does it for q oh, factor sorry, there's as something well. going on oh we got an emergency yeah that's actually the nolly fan club <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a super boost <laughs> yeah. so like, do you speak ill of super boost yeah but that is interesting as well i think that Nolly, I think sort of lots of different mountain biking scenes and sort of like na- nation, like maybe nationwide, I think some do have a real cult following. I feel like Nolly has sort of something of a cult following in yeah. Canada, not dissimilar to something like Orange in the UK, maybe intense in America. Yeah, there you go. And yeah, um, yeah, super cool. But no, I'm really excited to get this review finished. I've got a fair amount of riding on it yet, but there's definitely still some things I want to explore. Um, but we're going to get onto the topic of this week's podcast. Now, I mean, we're kind of all pretty even spread of ages here um we're going to talk about some of the bikes that really inspired us as we we're growing up they really really wanted dario i'm sure that have been some bikes that inspired you and you know being the youngster i've probably done a tiktok homage to some of them <laughs> matt and i are probably the generation yeah. that we had as our desktop background and kaz i can only imagine you wrote and wax lyrical back from the front line of the civil war about <laughs> yeah. letters home yeah. <laughs> yeah. dearest father the new my quill father pen yeah. Yeah. yeah the safety bicycle it's just the, yeah. <laughs> the future so yeah. what i wanted to talk about is sort of the bikes that we really lusted <laughs> after when perhaps potentially we didn't know that much about mountain bikes um, yeah. The things that really, for some reason, just captured our imagination, much in the same way that, you know, supercars catch the automotive mm-hmm. fans' imagination and not necessarily rate the bikes themselves. Maybe we didn't have the opportunities to ride them. But with a degree of hindsight, potentially 
as long as they don't have super boost on them, I'll know what I'm talking about. And I hope you guys know we can talk a bit of confidence and kind of critique our own decisions. So start with you, Kaz. So Kaz, whilst the Gettysburg dress was going on, you were, <laughs> you were off with the fairies thinking about something else. What were you dreaming of? Mine was the, it's the 1998 Ibis bow tie. Oh. So that thing's titanium. Yeah. <laughs> URT suspension design. It has no pivots, but it has five inches of rear travel because of the flex of the frame. And it's, it's pretty we had cool. one hanging in the shop that I worked at. And that's why, like, at the time, it was super expensive. I want to say like four grand, somewhere around there. And this isn't. But you can buy one on the buy sale right now for six. Really? That's a lot of money. <laughs> it was still. in that roundup I did oh, recently. Yeah. There's <laughs> yeah. someone so selling one for it, six I, K. This, remember, in 98, I wasn't that old. I was, uh, I don't know how, like 14, 15? Late 40s. Yeah, late 40s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I was 16 years old, 17. I don't even know. I was in high school. Yeah, I mean, it looks so cool. Yeah. Like, and it was titanium, which titanium at the time, I mean, all the time, but especially back then, titanium was the super wonder material. Can you, is this the unified rear end? It is, or yeah. Is it just the unified bike? <laughs> it's it's, it's all unified. Yeah. But it is, Not yeah, unified. It yeah, it's unified. So yeah. basically when you sit down, the suspension should work. And when you stand up, it should basically be like a hard tail, right. which obviously is the opposite of how you want a bike to work. <laughs> so when you go downhill, if you, any crank force, it's like stiff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so like, you need to uh, seat balance your way down the hill <laughs> to get the most out of it. But like, just look at it. Titanium. It looks like <laughs> it has that cool, start? like chody Fox damper as yeah. well. It's kind of cool looking, but the flex starts. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. That's kind of where the pivot is. Yeah. It's right. way up. Yeah. Way you up have high. a little, like there's no dropper there, post obviously right? cause they didn't yeah. exist back then. Um, that's the point where, where do you think not like in all seriousness, where do you think the instant center was? Uh, if we, I, if you could, yeah. And also, we'll put these link, these photos. Yeah, in the article I mean, so it, you it can wouldn't have been a like if you wrote it today. I'm sure you wouldn't think it was great. It'd be a great town bike, <laughs> but at the time, it just seemed like it just seemed so futuristic. And remember, this yes. is a time with like the Trek Y bike was out there, oh, yeah. and people thought I don't really understand how it happened. I think a while ago, Vernon Felton wrote a really great article on Pink Bike mm. about the URT and like the rise and fall of it. Yeah. It, it turns out it's not a good idea. But <laughs> this bike though, it just looked, it seems so exotic and so magic. And it, the frame hung in the shop that I worked at for years and years. I think even when I went to college, it was still hanging up in the shop. So <laughs> like, it might've been a reason, obviously the price. Cause I really think it was like 3,500 or $4,000 in 1998. Wow. So I mean, today that's like a million dollars, I, I mean, think. It's a beautifully elegant bike. Yes. Um, can you just explain, I mean, we, we alluded to some of the drawbacks of the URT. Yeah. Can you just explain to the listeners what, just if you could, you know, explain what the unified rear end is? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So basically you have the, I mean, in this case, there's no pivots, but if you, otherwise on a regular URT with pivots, your bottom bracket is attached. It's like part of the swing arm for yes. lack of a better word. So that's why when you stand up, it stiffens up because you're pedaling that. And then when you sit down, it, it should move theoretically. So yeah, again, not a good modern idea, but back then they thought it would be good. And also this is a time when like in the, in the nineties, early to late nineties, it was all about bikes should feel like hardtails because there's still a lot of skepticism around full suspension in general. So people were worried about efficiency and you know, disc brakes were going to be too heavy. They'll never catch on. So it's a weird yeah. time looking back. But at the time I thought that, like this was the future. Do you think we're, we're undergoing any of those larger conversations? I mean, disc brakes, skepticism, dropper posts was arguably like the yeah. last big one where people said, I remember people telling me when I got into riding, you shouldn't, you don't really want the dropper. Well, so I was a couple of years in, but they'd say you don't really want the dropper because the ability to steer the bike with the saddle up 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the, exactly. The defenses that people make. I don't yeah. think we're seeing that as much. Yeah. yeah. We're not seeing that as much in mountain biking, but now we're seeing it in road and gravel. Yeah. You know, the road world. Oh, disc brakes are so dangerous. When we crash, they're going to slice our jugulars. You know, like, turns out disc brakes on road bikes are pretty sweet, too. Hmm. But, and same yeah. with dropper posts on, even on more recently on the cross country mountain bike side, you right. know, dropper posts, they're too heavy, but now a good chunk of the field are using dropper posts for obvious reasons. But, yeah. so, but in the main, the main part of mountain biking, I don't think we're seeing any wholesale, like, strange things that are really shaking it up and um, super boost except super boost of course (laughs) (laughs) the next big thing um and maybe is there anything you know going around the room that we think we were looking back utterly wrong about were any of you like anti 29er diehards or i was anti-disc brakes were you anti-disc brakes but again this is a while to remember i was little as well i don't know how you were dario i'm a lot older than you in this case outsider art i grew up in like the hills single speed with, (laughs) with like really good v-brakes i was like why yeah. would i need anything better than this yeah but like 18 year old 17 year old full xc dork me thought they were too heavy and i didn't need them but then mm-hmm. obviously you move somewhere that has proper mountains and realize that disc yeah. brakes are good and disc brakes sucked at the time too so yes there's that my option was like good v-brakes or bb7s right and then i bought some bb7s and they were better and then i was like okay yeah. maybe this is better when i figured out that you could not chew your wheels and get the same braking performance from disc brakes. Yes. I was all in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so true. <laughs> Pretty nice. Yeah, yeah you don't like wear through rims after yeah. like a yeah. muddy ride. It's kind of nice. When yeah. when you were racing, Matt, were there any? I suppose you you probably were just tailing out as the twenty nine downhill craze came in. Yeah, would that be fair to say? I guess that was twenty. I went through it with the six fifty B six twenty seven five. Yeah, and so one year I actually opted for a purpose-built 27.5 bike but everything else was worse about it in terms of suspension oh really mm-hmm. so, okay yeah there was that i was definitely a 29 skeptic at first and to be fair the geometry was terrible like yeah. just nothing worked. Yeah. but the wheel size was definitely onto something so and right now can you get away with riding a 29 inch downhill bike like in terms of, in terms of clearance i know we've spoken about this before but typically i find it quite hard you'd have a taller style than me. I don't know if that's just because you're trying to get away from <laughs> that big old wheel. <laughs> uh, myself personally, well, I actually had a good chance a couple of weeks ago to try a bike that worked with the exact same geometry with mm-hmm. both sides rear wheels, 27.5 and 29. And oddly on this one, I actually preferred the full 29 and I could mm-hmm. get away with it. But I'm sure there are a lot of other shorter riders or you know people sub six foot, 180 centimeters mm-hmm. that would prefer the smaller rear wheel and do you think that dare i say um with our downhill bikes there are one or two brands sort of persevering with 27 on the front Mm. do you think do you think the park bike is a thing that actually i don't think it matters like it's like your 29 inch front wheel is not going to make you not able to whip or not you know, or it's not going to make Cats, you able to backflip or spin. Uh, it's all I'm yeah. holding on to. It's all about yeah. the up <laughs> gyroscopic force. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, we're, we're talking about wheel size and we're talking about mullets. I mean, there's yeah. even like the mini mullet. You see yeah, like truth. top riders, top like slope style or free ride, Red Bull Rampage riders, yeah. Seminook. Mm-hmm. Um, they're riding a 27.5 on the front <laughs> and a 26 on the back just because they say they can tail whip the bike faster. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Can we like a wheel yeah, strength I should clarify. yeah so tail whips maybe it makes a difference so if you're tail whipping your downhill yeah. bike then maybe these are the answer tail whip but the park last i don't really tail whip but uh yeah i don't know i think it's yeah. i do i'm a big fan of the mixed wheel 29 27 5 and i think that just helps i like it in the steeps and i think it's great for shorter riders too i'm not a shorter rider but i like it so mm. i think that's here to stay but yeah. yeah i don't think the dual 27 5 
I mean, it's more of like a parts specking thing from a company standpoint. You might as well just order one size fork and front wheel and spec it across the board. Now, guys, this was a beautiful, a beautiful Ibis. It's not the only bike that you sent in. We have a sort of cherry red Kona. Yeah. It's a real looker. It is. It's all in one piece. It doesn't have a telescopic, sorry, it has a telescopic fork, yes. not the linkage fork. It's got a Marzocchi Z2 on there. So talk us through. Yeah, this, this is the bike that I actually really want. It's a Kona Kula. So this is a 97. So my buddy, Jim Hart, I don't know if he rides bikes anymore. I haven't talked to him in 25 years or something. But <laughs> anyways, this was, he had this bike. And so it was the first person I knew that had like a real, real mountain bike, like an expensive yeah. high-end mountain bike. And he told me about mountain bike racing. I was like, that sounds pretty cool. You get to go in a circle in the mud and ride a mountain bike. <laughs> yeah. So it sounded sweet. So this is the bike I wanted. Um, yeah, I never owned this one in particular, but it always... It was pretty light for the time. Again, it had that Z2 fork, which was great. 23 pounds? Why doesn't your fluid weigh that little? <laughs> I know. The big That's wheels. Me. What are you like on it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think would have been faster? A cooler or the Ibis? A cooler. Yeah. 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 What, would, it, would, any, would any racers of that era have chosen the Ibis? Do no. You think? Mm -mm. No. No one was racing full suspension at all. Mm. Yeah. It was all hard tail. And um, what was, as we kind of close out your teenage pinups, what was your, the first nice bike you owned? Do you see what I mean? Like yeah, the first yeah. Real dedicated well, it, was the, it was the same era. So it was a 98 or 99 spooky June bug. I think I've talked about it before, but yeah. like made by Frank the Welder, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, we're, we're full circle. We're, we're full, full circle. We're talking about the Frameworks bike a little bit, and that's made by Frank the Welder. So yeah, my first real mountain bike was welded by Frank the Welder. It's kind of nominative, nominative determinism, eh? Who would have thought his surname would have been the welder? I know, imagine <laughs> that. Just yeah, just like, <laughs> yeah, just it's wild. like, yeah. The career's that. guidance person must have just yeah, been like, like this is what you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Frank Waddleton is his real name, but also Frank the welder. So yeah, that was my first real bike, spooky. They're just kind of like a, they made some hardtails, like they made the metal head, the, what else did they make? Dark side. Yeah, just kind of like hardcore East Coast brand, kind of a punk rock straight edge-ish aesthetic thing. So I was into it. Are there any real... I suppose maybe Da Vinci. I know they have a big presence on the East Coast and they're based up there. Are there any East Coast brands still really? I mean, Cannondale. Cannondale, but I mean, obviously they have owned by a larger conglomerate, but they're still in Wilton, Connecticut. Mm. Um, yeah. They don't have any weird bikes, so there's no point talking about them. Yeah, exactly. Cannondale's always, always been very, very, very middle of the road. Conservative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Matt, talk about what bike was on your Windows XP <laughs> desktop background. Well, I actually had the paper copy of the 1999 Kona catalog. and Oh, my God. So is this before I, or after it's been hit by a car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a hard time not choosing this one. <laughs> it's such oh, a cool yeah. If you haven't looked up this bike, you definitely should. Yeah, they used the, to, I think they still have one of these. Well, say what frame it is. Yeah, it's the 1999 Kona Stab Deluxe. Yeah. And the Just color the coolest scheme, name ever. the craziest shaped frame. It had great suspension, wheels brakes everything at the time and uh yeah it was a looker for sure is that a monster t on the front yeah hell yeah. yeah it it does so i mean looking at it you'll be able to understand why they would have such a big such a hmm, indirect down tube <laughs> for that that front wheel clearance but yeah. it's interesting that that's where the head tube angles were right yeah mm -hmm. that and yeah i guess the pivot for the rocker needed clearance for the shock reservoir too so <laughs> yeah. you just shape it around <laughs> yeah yeah you just could curve it around the shock and the front wheel yeah. <laughs> don't change oh, anything else i love it so yeah. yeah i wanted this bike so bad my buddy actually had one at the time mm. 
and he had a size small, which looked even cooler. I think small bikes always <laughs> oh, yeah. tend to look a little bit more compact and stealthy yeah. and whatnot. So that one looked even neater. It had this gigantic, almost moto seat at SDG Big Boy. It's, it's longer than the chainstay. It was, <laughs> it was something. It was like a couch. Yeah. And yeah, I guess to follow up um, in Kaz's dream footsteps, um, I actually got a 1999 Kona Muni Mula, which was a cheaper version of that Kula you see there. Mm-hmm. It was all blue and silver. Yeah. So Does Henry know what Muni Mula comes from? No. <laughs> no. It's aluminum spelled backwards. Oh. <laughs> I had, They're I clever. They I, couldn't market it in Britain because of the different pronunciations. Well, yeah, speaking, uh, well. speaking of um, Kona marketing, it's amazing that that bike with that down tube wasn't Jake the Snake because that thing is taking <laughs> yes. left to the right sure. and left to the, the down. What bike did Fabian win on? Did he win on he that won thing? a stab, I think. It was a stab, stab deluxe, but yeah. it was yeah, heavily modified yeah, yeah. and mm. much longer, much because blacker. They also did the <laughs> floating brake arm. I guess mm. that would come in some years later. Yeah. Um, that was yeah. also, I think it was their dope braking system. Yeah, dope. <laughs> yeah. Super cool. The yeah. Magic Link. They had some crazy stuff. The yeah. Magic Link. What the hell was going <laughs> on? They were doing there? some cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. You get to ride a Magic Link bike. I've ridden a Magic Link Please, bike. Please, Cass, yeah. tell me. I wanted one of these. I'm surprised they, this wasn't. They are not. Been, that was not the answer. Fuck. This yeah. was a bike I had on my desktop background, too. <laughs> well, the Magic Link came out at a time when it felt like it was 90s technology coming out in the 2000s. It was not <laughs> ideal. But Cass, it gave us 180 mil travel. It's magic. Yeah, best of both worlds. How did that happen? Can you explain to me? (laughs) Well, there's like that little secondary spring thing. It's like as it went deeper, then it would activate the secondary spring. That sounds like a great idea. Oh, they did it as late as 2013. I didn't realize. It was like the reverse. The Cadabra was, wow. It was like the reverse of a canyon shapeshifter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not the reverse, but... If anyone at Kona has that buy one, get one free, deal's still going, I'll have two. (laughs) 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 I wanted one of them so bad. And the... Because I had a... Kona Stinky, mm-hmm. 2008 one. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time when I got into bikes, I didn't realize that model years was a thing. So I thought if you got some, like, say, Shimano XT brakes, that was... You've got them. you got them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I got these Hope, old Hope brakes that was like, it's weird how my brakes aren't like anyone else's. <laughs> they say Hope, though. They should be the same. Yeah. And I got them, like, used for, like, some dodge, like, off some, um, like, some form. I think it was, like, you know, proper dodgy deal. Like, you just send someone a bank transfer and hope they would turn up. <laughs> And um, and I got them, and I remember mine didn't have. They were IS mount, but non-adapter, mm. so it was just oh set. God, you ran two hundred threes, whatever it was. Yeah, and I had to get rotors to find. I was like, "What the <laughs> hell? This isn't. There's nothing here." That's funny. <laughs> I think yeah, disc brake mounts and chain guide standards back in '99. Oh, well, maybe even all the way up to like, say, 2007 yeah. or something was just yeah. horrific if i ever meet mr dirt i'm gonna have a word with him <laughs> that guy <laughs> he made some things there's too many parts in those gizmo like that chain guide yeah. the nightmare yeah um so this kind of stab it was kind of had like i don't know it's kind of i mean i hope i hope everything's right you know you there's a lot of uncertainty in the bike industry i think a buy one get one free sale is quite a shocking thing and that's that's why we're talking about it but Kona did have a massive presence oh, man. back in the day in free ride and racing. New yeah. World Disorder 1, John Cowan, the like whole Hawaiian tropical that, I watched, theme. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Like, they weren't following anybody else. I mean, mm. you know, suspension designs, whatever. There's only mm. so many ways to build them. But they were doing their own cool thing for sure. Um, what was the first really nice bike that you had? Yeah, so sorry. I mentioned that it was, it was the, the 99 Mooney Mula mm-hmm. full LX and 
Shimano LX components, aluminum frame, what, Marzocchi um, Z fork, Z4 fork. What size would you have ridden? I think it was a 16 inch. And I was, you know, on my tippy toes straddling that top tube just mm. to make it work. But it was a hell of a bike. Um, and how, how much, do you know how much travel the stab would have had? This one, I think, was just, it had a seven inch Monster T. Mm-hmm. And I think the rear was about the same or maybe just a hair under. Yeah, maybe mm. like six and a half, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's, it's funny, you know, I think we've finally sort of, you do see, see like the 5.5, you know, pivot, for instance, or whatever. But we really have moved away from inches as a way to measure mm-hmm. the amount of bike yeah. travel. Um, it's funny, I've always thought it's slightly weird that SRAM, the American company, is like 200 mil. And then <laughs> yeah. j- the Japanese company's 203. Yeah. Right. And like, guys, let's just Yeah, get we need this. to fix that. If a 203, one of those has to go away. I prefer 203. But yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't go. on 203 as well. Yeah, mm. just keep it even. Just, yeah, it's very weird. My yeah. fun retro fact, which I probably said before, I believe the trip, do you know why the triple eight was called the triple eight? Mm. It was. I remember something about this, but. Yeah. yeah it was eight on. inches of travel with eight inch rotors and it was eight pounds. There you go. <laughs> eight pounds. That man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Just wow. eight liters of oil as well, probably. Whilst you're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the monster tea was even more. That Holy like changing the oil. I remember this. I can. I've this said this before too, Brad. But I can just the smell of a monster tea when you crack it open <laughs> is so distinct. Really? Like they, yeah, yeah. It's super weird. Like oh. it's a very not a good smell because most people never service yeah, them. Yeah. But when they did, like, like cracking sludge. open a monster tea is a different smell. <laughs> My, um, oh. I remember working in a bike from Queenstown, and this guy had some open bath mazokis and he blew them up in the bike park mm-hmm. and one of my colleagues made the very fair point that we should genuinely be concerned for the wildlife up there <laughs> yeah because there's <laughs> <They're oil covered>. <laughs> <laughs> little chipmunks covered in oil and stuff um, oh. have any of you got any you, you know we kind of got to the stage now with things like the grip do damper where it's almost in some ways it's it's obviously not an open bath but they the, the all volume's getting great to it can circulate <laughs> through the lower um do any of you guys have any sort of strong opinions or feelings about open bath forks and whether you'd ever want them to return because there are some oh. people that would say like it was actually a very valid valid form of design i think it's an interesting approach i mean it'd be cool if there were companies like pursuing it wholeheartedly like uh, uh manitou still does it in their like cheaper stuff mm. um like the measures expert model is an open bath and yeah that's like a well, I thought it's a pretty. I think it can work. I think damper. it's a little. Yeah, you don't quite have as much control over the path of the oil of what you what you're putting it through. I think, but yeah, yeah I think it is a great for especially for simpler forks where someone yeah. might not need the adjustments. You could make a good open bath fork. There's a weight factor too. Yeah, what um, I liked about the like the open bath on that measure, for instance, was like instead of changing the like the shim stack or anything to affect damping, you just change the oil weight, mm-hmm. and like that was. A, a much more annoying way to tune a fork but it's a different also approach e- easier way for most people yeah yeah it's easier way. to conceptualize too i think mm-hmm. like for the consumer you're like okay i get this lighter oil here heavier oil here like that differential will change things yeah so apart from i suppose we'd be able to just run through so for those of you that listen that maybe aren't that familiar a lot of time you might have a closest which would be like a um a bladder that expands as the cycle the, the damp is compressed or it might be an IFP, an internal floating piston, because as the oil is displaced, as it's forced through the valve, you will have to have some sort of compensation chamber or, or system. An open bath system is literally a plunger going into an open bath of oil, and there tends to be a high volume of oil. It tends to arguably, as Kaz said, maybe less sophisticated, less controlled. But there are some people that, like I said, are big, big mm-hmm. proponents. Yeah. What do you think is the, if you could go, 
go over Kaz, what do you think is the main draw of an open path system for some people? I mean, simplicity, even for servers, is nice too. You don't actually have to bleed the system. Like if you're changing the oil in an open bath fork, you're just really measuring the oil level to the, mm. usually from the top of the stanchion. So the depth, you're just pouring oil until it reaches a certain point and then you're good. And where, you know, on, uh, doing a full rebuild on a lot of modern forks does re- re- involve kind of a damper bleed, a secondary set of steps and yeah. probably more complicated tools and things too so yeah, like you can bleed it uh, with a chopstick and a ruler yeah exactly cool. yeah. Yeah, yeah super cool yeah so like, servicing <laughs> tends to be yeah. easier which is nice yeah. um yeah because it and the benefit is also you could be argued that just you kind of not have more damping available because that wouldn't be true but the the plunge effect of damping is really really sophisticated and the problem is with i suppose you could say with sort of cartridge or closed systems is that under harsh compressions you have to be really careful with how much oil is in the lower because it can ingest and blow the damper mm. so then you kind of don't have that at your disposal right because you have to be more, more more particular um so that is a very nice bike map it's that is a great choice i think it was it's just getting into casuals a bit before my time yep you know have you ever seen the thing where like the meme on the internet where they ask people to draw a bike and uh-huh. they get completely confused mm-hmm. that's kind of what the ibis looks a bit like yeah it's yeah so out there. yeah <laughs> yeah it's true it's cool though Kind of be a great gravel bike though, eh? Yeah, probably would. You know be. what I mean? I don't know. I think uh, it's a great town bike for like if you sit down, go yeah. over a curb. Yeah, you're like yeah. plowing through potholes. I mean, I would if someone gave me one right now, I would definitely go mountain biking on it and just see. what They it's have like. one at their Sea Otter booth sometimes. Really? It might be worth asking if you could I'll like talk to, take I it for a rip out there. Oh, can we do, can I get can poison do, ivy? And oak. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at Sea Otter, can we do like teenage cousins' best day ever? That would be nice. Be fun. <laughs> yeah. We'll do like, get you riding an Ibis, get you riding with Hans Ray. Yeah. You know I, I mean? I've ridden with Hans Ray, and that was one of my best days ever. <laughs> <laughs> I rode in Laguna with Hans, and it was amazing. And that was like, and that was it's more like, recently than, yeah, right. I wasn't little when I did that. So it was cool. Yeah. Um, Dario. Mm. So you already mentioned your disc brake skeptic. Well, yeah. Which pushes an interesting place <laughs> as to what your, um, what your pinup was going to be. I went with like a, I think a pretty reasonable bicycle in the end there were a lot of bikes that i lusted after that weren't like like i don't know good mountain bikes per se but i think this is a good mountain bike yeah. that is a good mountain it's still bike. good what year is this one uh, 06 to 08 yeah but i think they made it from like 04 to 08 total yeah we should get to tell people what we're trying to chose is. the santa cruz vp free yeah this one's got the totem on it too yeah it's Full got 1.5. 215 mil of rear travel 215 uh, mil yeah mm-hmm. uh, between 160 and 200 mil of front travel just depending on what you wanted to do <laughs> with your life <laughs> and what why do you think with the i thought you know the way rock shocks have kind of revived certain forks of these has been quite interesting mm-hmm. like the pike was something very different they revived it and we're like okay so the pike was this sort of like almost like dirt jumpy fork with that travel adjust and then it became right. back as like the enduro fork and then they were like okay so what was the lyric is now the pike fair enough and they shuffled the pike down into what the revelation was and put the lyric where the pike like was the Judy, yeah right okay and then there was this <laughs> everyone loved the totem so much mm-hmm. it was such a uh, cool it'll form. be back i bet but i don't think so no no i think cultural appropriation and the use of the word oh, totem is probably more oh, what's oh, happening that's, there. that's what it was yeah i that guarantee you sense, yeah. that's what it is you think pretty yeah, sure yeah that yeah. makes sense yeah okay just because, like, you know, the word tribe, there's other things that have just changed yeah. meaning and people don't use them you in their the Yetis bring marketing back the tribe? I don't think, well, they're not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it would yeah. be a terrible, sad irony if 
I think Zebulon Pike is the guy that named Zeb's after. Yeah, right. If something comes to light, I'm really bad about him. Yeah, I mean, he's a white I explorer. Mean, he's he's a white white yeah, that's track right yeah. But, you know, maybe yeah. it's best to leave but he's those got an stones unturned. after him, too. So, yeah. yeah. And the Zeb is a great number four. I remember seeing yeah. it written down. I was like, because Sam Hill had one. Yeah. It was a black box. And it was like, Zeb was like, Zeb. Yeah. Are you mad? But hey, kind of works. Stuck. Yeah. It's still okay. But the totem was a cool four. The totem still looks sick. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What was it about this bike exactly? Um, really I think I grew up with Santa Cruz being like the like the brand lusted after, mm. like from like Super Lights to even like the Tasman. I thought was a really cool looking bike. That's mm. kind of like in the bow tie realm in terms mm. of like fucking insanity and quality. Like mm. a bad balance of the two, perhaps, <laughs> but pretty cool looking bike. I think I always just had like an affinity. I'm from Northern California too. So I think there was something to that. And then this was like the bike that Mark Weir would race on. And I always mm. thought that like he was like the cool racer guy. Yeah. Randy Spangler era too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cam Zink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rampage. Yeah. True. Why do you think that, because I think over the last maybe six or seven years, I would say, you know, from like the 50 to one era and onwards, I think that Santa mm. Cruz have maybe got the marketing better done just done but just about the better than most people they've had the race presence they've had like the fun influencer sort of presence um like you know that pro athlete that does really cool stuff with it josh bryson moving away from racing xyz but they've consistently hadn't had an allure i think to mm-hmm. and, and are considered like a luxurious brand that is attainable yeah in, in some ways but it's also it's, it's also just always out of reach but in like it's like it sort of keeps yeah. it kind of up, up on its perch what do you think it is about santa cruz that keeps so many people considering them in that position when there were so many luxury bike brands they out hired good marketing people is probably the real answer but i don't know they've, they've done a good job of like keeping their lineup like diverse but not like gangly for lack mm. of a better term like that they have you know whatever They're distinguishable yeah distinguishable visually less so anymore but like distinct models that appeal to like certain people mm. i think part of what i liked about this era of the brand was like it was a bit more garage built feeling you know like they were made in the U.S. still. They're aluminum. They like had this uh, rougher energy mm. for uh, whether that's true or not. I don't know, but it's a cool uh, bike. Kaz, and do you think how I would say Santa Cruz probably is, to my mind, in terms of like you know accessible brands, i.e., available most places in the world, have a strong dealership network. So really, really big, but also still very premium. Santa Cruz probably is that brand. Mm-hmm. Would that yeah. be fair to say? Yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah. And who else would you group in with them, do you think? I mean, available most places in the world, it has to be a bigger. Mm. But I think like, I mean, you'll get like, we mentioned Yeti earlier. That's a brand that's very up there, kind of in that boutique level. Um, yeah. Ibis were there for a time, for me at least. Yeah. Coming from the UK, when they had that that first Mojo, then the Mojo HD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really like, because I remember Brian Lopes riding them and he could get like a 25 pound or something yeah Mo- like 140 mil mojo was like whoa this is yeah. crazy you know uh, yeah i don't know i mean because now that we i think right now we're seeing a lot of boutique builders like smaller companies are coming up all, all yeah everywhere you know we are one that type of thing that kind of like yeah the exotics are like yeah big. and just with the internet you can see that you can see them more easily or at least like dig into details or see something on social media like ooh, someone has this bike where before you should wait for a magazine or something to show up like where is that yeah yeah, yeah i will but, say my other bike that was maybe more interesting was the Canfield brothers, big fat, fatty fat. Oh. I didn't put it in there, but <laughs> I had a poster of it in my room and I thought that was pretty cool. It was like from like a dirt rag or something. I don't know remember where I got it, but it was just a little eight and a half by 11. 
I, I can put a picture in there. there. What's that? Do you know what that bike is? No, I'm oh, like just like a I was, huck bike. Let me oh, put yes, it in one nice. sec. I was in a massive. I was. I only got into road cycling in probably 2009. So this is all a bit before. Be a bit before my time. Yeah. Um, yeah, like this wouldn't have been a contemporary bike for me to ride. <laughs> but as to last but after, boy, is it so cool. Well, I mean, <laughs> Lots of travel. Yeah. yeah. Dueling. It's like taller than idler. it is long. Yeah, it's like the old Brooklyn Machine Works era, kind yeah. of like just for hucking. It's not it's, that different than their Jedi. Just I was going to say, because right. you tested one of those. Uh, well, not one of those. You tested a Canfield last year. Yeah. Canfield but it's still along the same lines. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like the, Canf- uh, the Canfield, the Jedi? That was an extremely comfortable bike to ride in terms of like suspension mm. um it tracked really well and yeah i, I would say that could work for a lot of oh people yes who just oh yeah and i have like some of these downhill. yeah very nice <laughs> yeah it's got very some like nice. uh yeah just yeah it's for hucking like it's a bender style bike you mm. show them this one stair gaps yeah, yeah. it's for stair gaps yeah I'm, yeah it has like carpeal, I, I strong carpeal vibes from really it. want to ride this bike still you know, there's that guy, um, I did a quick bike check with him in Whistler, a guy called Jordan Boostmaster. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He has done a great job on this A-line he had. And I was the... the he's got that 304 yeah, yeah. He's with the, mon- the four. There's super monster on And he yeah. like, built, rebuilt it properly. And I think he'd seen a lot of like motorcycle suspension tuners yeah. Yeah. to get it properly. And I thought it was so cool, man. I just yeah. thought like the past, the fact that like this guy, for reasons known only to him, has gone to so much effort for just something just for him to ride. I just thought it was so fucking cool. It got so much yeah. more respect. I was like, because that's, you know, I don't know, not, not just going on to the next biggest thing, you know, the next newest thing. I mean, biggest is probably not going to get much more bigger than, right. than what he had. Why, but, um, but why do we top out at 200? Like, what are we, what are we not, what are we missing? I think we're lis- missing the, and maybe this is completely off base. Um, I think we need to see a demand from people to use something more travel at, at World Cup tracks. And until we get that, and if we want that, which we probably, I'm not saying we do, because I am not. I want to, wouldn't want to ride and race tracks yeah. that needed 10 yeah. inches of travel or 9 inches yeah. of travel. Yeah, I mean, like the V10's not 10 inches yeah. of travel anymore. Yeah. But it used to be. Because I heard um, yeah. Sam Hill and Brendan Fairclough wanted in that sort of, when they're on that specialised team, it's like 09 or 10, and the super stubby rear ends and extra hill clearance built in to mm. those demos, and they were trying to get a 9-inch boxer. Mm. Because they were like, this is... But then again, maybe damping's more sophisticated, so you don't need yeah. as much travel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, look at what people are doing at Rampage with eight inches of travel. Truth. But then again, I think you could say, you know, how many of us have exactly 200 mil of travel between our crowns and our seals on our downhill bikes? Mm-hmm. Why not? Treat ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Treat ourselves to a bit more. Hey, throw it in there. Don't be shy. Um, Matt, have you ever thought, would you would you want a nine inch travel downhill bike? Can you think of any tracks you ride around here that you're like, oh, I was undergunned there with my mere eight inch of travel? I mean, I think for specific scenarios, it probably couldn't hurt. Like, Val de Sol. I mean, if you had, yeah. Hmm. Think about riding a seven inch travel bike versus a eight inch travel downhill bike. Yeah, down so there. true. You know, that is just that the comfort extra as much as anything. A little bit, yeah. And you look at bikes like the new Commensal Supreme V5. That one has 210, 215. Mm-hmm. This is an extra little bit of rear wheel travel mm-hmm. out there now. So it could move in that direction. I mean, you talk about the big fat fatty fat and. <laughs> Yeah. I do talk about the big yeah. fat fatty fat. Three-inch wide tires. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little tricky to like package with wheels now because that right. the fatty fat is that 24-inch rear wheel. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think you the 29-inch, like a 13-inch travel bike with 29-inch wheels would be tricky would be to pull tricky. off. But yeah. now they're back You'd to 27.5. You'd have to have like 500 mil stays. Yeah. But maybe um, now that things are getting longer, it could be yeah. the future. 
Yeah. Just get rid of the seat. Uh huh. Yeah. You can make like yeah, the Grim Hucker or something. Go well, on. We're, while we're oh. on the topic of crazy Huck bikes and double SDG big boy saddles taped yeah. together. What is it with the big boy things going on? But sorry, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you got to try one. <laughs> <laughs> but back in the day, there were lots of like these moto style saddle concept yeah. bikes. And mm-hmm. I think there was, I think it was Reese Wilson mentioned one time, like, why even have a saddle? Like, I just want to sit down and... Yeah, yeah. RC was all about it too. Richard Cunningham always trying to... I don't know, I feel like whenever we chatted about downhill bikes and stuff, he just wanted to make something that didn't really have a seat or just kind of integrated into it, almost like a trials bike. Yeah. Because you yeah. Really don't you see need like one. concept drawings of that occasionally. Yeah. You guys have saddle bounce unintentionally though, right? Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be the worst thing in the world? I mean, I'm not well, saying like the there'd way. just be an empty tube that like penetrates you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, if, it's, if it was <laughs> like, like gone. A pad on yeah. top tube like think about like how low a trials bike is if you reshape the whole thing to yeah. not even deal with a seat. I do tube. think a lot of people use the seat as like, like yeah. a reference or like to steer even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. That sounds I just the further I don't know. So I, I I mean you're right, fundamentally I agree. There's no reason yeah. a bike has to be any particular one shape. I mean like my bike is a two forty mil dropper and that feels like it's gone. Yeah. Like, I can't find the seat with my butt if it's down. <laughs> Jesus. What a brave new world. I mean, you rode it today. I did, yeah. 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 It was it was way out of the we, way. We were Even though you to... taped a glove to the top of it. <laughs> well, I needed the Henry Quinney um, undercarriage support system. Right. Which was integrated. But basically, so we're doing this video where we kind of, like, ride each other's bikes and sort of critique them. And we're halfway through. We've, we filmed the riding just now. We're doing a podcast, and then we're going to go film. So I don't want to say anything too glowing about riding your right. bike dario yeah no, i understand i want to ruin the ruin the surprise <laughs> later on well, what was your bike henry what's your, my bike what's your i'm going to send it now oh yeah it's been, yeah okay so hiding let, let me give a bit of preamble i knew nothing about mountain bikes but i thought that if james bond had a bike this is probably what he would choose is it orange is the sleekest thing it's in orange. the world it is so much worse than Oh, well, this is like the, pe- it's the focus. Oh, it was a focus first. Oh, now, this shit. had some kind of basically hinge on the top tube to trap all your most valuable parts in. Yeah. It's like the it, Red Alp almost. It's, it's like, kind of like it, a Lightville focus. I don't. Yeah. Whoa. It's basically a Lightville, but more dangerous. Yeah. I thought it, the silhouette I thought was so elegant had the Crankbrothers wheels. And I didn't the know anything wheels. for reference yeah. for the point, listeners. The damper is above the top tube. Yeah. Yes. It's on the top side of the top tube is yeah. the damper. And then it's like housed within there. I hadn't ridden a mountain bike at this point, but I knew I wanted one. Good Lord. It looks <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is the thing that got It looks like the Pinarello mountain bike that they came out yeah. with a while like, ago. Like, yeah. Like six months ago. <laughs> yeah. This is what Pinarello yeah. copied. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Stay in the art design. I mean, look at it. It's elegant. You've got more travel than you could ever need out of those. I mean, I don't understand what remote lockouts and stuff was, but it sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Good. It's like a Scott and a Pinarello together. Yeah. It's kind of integrated. Lots of cables. It's got those cool Crank Brothers wheels with like the... Yeah, did crazy did anyone, scary anodized things yeah did anyone ever read team robots crank brothers no. article? yeah I did. it's amazing yeah. I mean, we should link to that i don't even know if his site's still up but it i think is. we can find it i, I, um, I was on it recently yeah he, he did a great um, yeah, he took them down pretty hard but it's it's very I well written. A set of those those exact wheels on a commuter bike yeah. and then and then all of the spokes corroded oh because yeah. can, can you explain the listeners the wheels we're talking about and what the thing i forget what, what they're called like off the top of my head right now but they're a crank brothers wheel concept where it was like the rim had these extruded tabs that you'd horizontally pin a, a custom spoke to 
and then halfway through the spoke was like a turnbuckle that you would use to tension the wheel. The whole, it was just a completely novel concept. <laughs> yes, yeah. completely novel. Um, like special hubs, special rims, special spokes. It was impossible to find the parts for the spokes. I thought they looked super cool. Yeah. There was like a whole era of Crank Brothers where that was like their MO was like, let's reinvent the wheel, literally. <laughs> literally. But they had like, I had a stem. I worked at, a, at like a community bike shop, so we'd get stuff like this donated, and that's why I ended up with those. But like, they, they made these stems that were like, monocoque carbon so it was like a loop and a loop and you use like aluminum wedges to hold your steer and your bars Whoa, and those. they were yeah they were like super light but if you like reefed on them it would like pop the the shim out they're crazy they that did some cool safe. stuff back in the day <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not the the yeah. wheels yeah, yeah there we yeah. go yeah, yeah, in my head i feel like well mountain biking it's an interesting thing where it's it's the most important thing i do in my life it's like my whole it's a central pivot to my entire life but i also feel like i haven't been doing it for very long yeah. but actually if you think back look back it's like i suppose like 15, 14 15 years now mm -hmm. but in my head i'm like oh it's only been I'm only, I'm only just getting into it in between you know let's call it four bikes that we shared yeah neutral rider which do you think would be the best bike for the time or for no like just right now like today you have to do a lap like top to bottom at whistler i'd go for yeah. Oh, free. yeah. True. It's definitely the newest, I guess. Well, actually, yeah. no, that's newer. Yours, mm. yeah, Henry's is newer, <laughs> but the VP free is probably better. I was gonna say the the VP free, the huge girthy fork, yeah, the range of the gearing, a lot of travel out back. It's actually not and aluminum. It's not too far off no. the bike you're riding right now. No, I know. I that's I was kind of why I want what i have i think is like that was like paragon of cool bike and now i've like achieved that with like the frameworks kind of but yeah i still want to ride that old one man yeah do you think you know we mentioned it earlier on we mentioned a couple of times about this idea of hand-built frames when i first got into riding that was really denoted quality that idea that frame was hand-built and you mentioned santa cruz made in mm -hmm. america that's kind of changed over the years you know just going around the room now do you consider hand-built to have anything to do with quality i think it's like a almost a misnomer because like so many bikes that are considered quote-unquote handmade it, that's meant to imply like made in the u.s or made by like someone you know mm. but like any aluminum bike from taiwan is probably hand welded yeah like it's it's it, there are robot welding operations but like kind of few and far between but in my eye in my mind like maybe not so much quality but like care so mm -hmm. like maybe it's it's more like if that term is being used yes. liberally or not, I think like maybe it means that like someone cared a lot about making it. Yeah, it was more of a craft. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Boutique. And it, yeah, when we saw that sort of inflection point in handmade frames when they went from good quality, you know, in the, I want to say like 2010 to 2015 era, there were like some aluminum bike frames made in the US and they mm. kind of degraded in quality. Yeah. Uh, what brand were you racing at that time, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> you Those were intense bikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but it's true. I mean, I think, um, I think it's a super interesting thing, the idea of like the artisan approach to yeah. mountain biking. Right. And, you know, it's the same when you say in roads, like, like, you know, the heritage of someone like Look, made in Europe, oh, sure. et cetera, is, is, is a big deal. Yeah, I think boutique connotes like some degree of rarity and maybe even like customization mm. which is why the atherton's are like maybe more in that vein antidote 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. They're, they're quite boutique. Yeah. yeah, or like the pivot downhill bike that they're making. Like if they were selling those, like that would be a boutique frame. It's like a ton of work goes into it. It's quite rare, probably Maybe extremely a expensive. Transition Spire with only three seasons on it. Yeah, <laughs> boutique. <laughs> Truly boutique. <laughs> I, I mean, you've got your own like custom uh, hardware shims in there. Yeah, I've got That's my metal work in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carlsberg now doing repairs, which is great. Good on him. <laughs> um, and I think we will leave it there. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. This is definitely the end of the podcast, <laughs> unless anyone's got any objections. <laughs> and we We're will... doing comment gold now. <laughs> yeah. And um, actually, do you know what was a great top comment gold? I did a mm. like bike rebuild thing, you know, got back from smashing around Cyprus with Matt, hosed the bike down and um, just slung it in the stand. And um, subsequently, there's, you know, bits, if you know what it's like when you clean a bike, there's bits of dirt on it and stuff. And I was taking it all apart anyway, so I don't really care. Um, but pulling it apart, you could hear, you couldn't really hear it in real life, but this, the microphone, because you had it right next to the thing, mm. you could hear like, and someone oh. said, ooh, sounds like a Land Rover. Uh, <laughs> that's top, top comment that really, really, really made me laugh. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next time.